0: All right, Genesis chapter 37. That's where we've been all week for the Bible study exercise. So I, I, yesterday I, I wanted to finish it, but then I felt like, well, uh, we hadn't covered everything we needed to cover. So I'm going to use uh, the Sunday school hour to uh, try to advance it and try to finish it. Uh, but Genesis chapter 37. If you have, uh, well, here's what we'll do. Go to Genesis chapter 37. If you haven't been participating, let me try to give you an idea of where we have been. In Genesis chapter 37, you probably are aware, obviously, since it's in the book of Genesis, you have a historical narrative. This historical narrative gives us a story of an event that happens in the, uh, the life of a family. Alright. If you look at Genesis 37 really uh, just briefly, you're going to immediately realize it's going to involve Jacob, it's going to involve Joseph, it's going to involve his brothers, all right? You probably can figure out what's going to happen if you if you're familiar at all with the section. So what we decided to do this this week since uh, the previous weeks of Bible study exercises have been very, very theological. Dealing with hermeneutics, eschatology, dealing with so many very difficult issues, I decided for this Bible study exercise to really use the text for a more practical approach, for to try to really deal with some things that are very just practical and deal with more application than uh, trying to to dig into some kind of more difficult uh, you know situation and the text itself really presents itself pretty straightforward. I mean, no one reads Genesis 37 and go, no, I disagree. Now, there's things there that, that you can have some discussions about because there's there's a certain mindset that has been, going even back to the early church fathers, just kind of has been placed on the story of Joseph. It's just kind of like this template that's been placed on the story of Joseph. And the reason it's been placed there is because Historically, it's been very common for people to say Joseph is a picture of Christ. So that when you tell the story of Joseph, you Joseph always has to be put forth as The hero, the one without doing anything wrong, he's perfect because he's he's the picture of Christ in the story. And then everyone else in the family are is the horrible bad guys, the sinners. That's almost the way it's kind of just imposed on the text. And even if you don't, even you may not even realize it, but that has been such a part of Christianity, you kind of just fall into reading the story that way. So what I've wanted to do this week is to really go through the section carefully and try to remove that template from the text and just be open and honest with what we find and ask some tough questions and then, and then try to look at it. The overall theme for Genesis chapter 37 has been this week the idea of spiritual pitfalls. In fact, I, did, I didn't label this Bible study exercise Genesis 37, which is what I typically do. I labeled this spiritual pitfalls. And if and the way we define a spiritual pitfall, really we borrowed the definition from just pitfalls in general. And a pitfall is basically this: the idea of a, of a pitfall is a pit that's been covered with something that's very flimsy, that if as soon as you step on it, you're going to fall in. The pit is is designed to deceive you into thinking, oh, there's no real problem here, there's no real danger. And then as soon as you step on it, you find yourself in a pit. And that and those pits are used to capture either animals or humans. It can be used in a time of war or or all kinds of other different situations. It's to deceive you. You're walking along. You don't see the danger. You're like, there's nothing here. And then you step on the the, the flimsy cover. And then next thing you know, you find yourself where? Trapped in a pit. So there there are spiritual pitfalls. Things that don't look like a problem, but the next thing you know, they become a source of great spiritual pitfalls, where you find yourself in a place spiritually you don't want to be. So that's kind of what we've t- we've talked about them all week, and we're, we've been working on Genesis chapter thirty-seven. The, the goal this morning is to really just to get to two. Um, we covered one of these yesterday. Uh, But we're going to we're going to I'm going to have to just walk through and and try to show you all the ones that we've discussed. So Genesis chapter thirty seven. Everyone there. Genesis chapter thirty seven. Okay. I don't want to do too much review, but at the same time, I want you to at least have some idea what we've talked about here. Okay. And I've got like who knows how many notes on all of this because we've been working on it all week. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've changed. I've changed the approach. Uh, probably every time we've, we've studied it this week, but uh, I'm going to get pulled up here. Give me one second. All right. Yeah, we'll here we go. Genesis 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now let's just stop right here because we really broke this down this week. Immediately in this verse, we have Jacob introduced, right, Or, or mentioned. I mean, he's already been introduced, but you get the idea. Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And who is his father? Isaac. Okay, so now we have Jacob, we have Isaac. These are the generations, right? Some translations may say something like, this is the genealogy, Right. And as soon as you th- start talking generations or genealogy, what what, what concepts uh, being mentioned basically again? Family. Very good. OK, family. Well, Twyla already knows because she's been doing the Bible study exercise this week. So so you got to get all the questions. All, you got to answer all the questions. Right. These are the generations of Jacob. And then who's mentioned after Jacob? Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his Brethren, so now we have the brothers mentioned, we have Joseph mentioned, we have Jacob mentioned, we have kind of a reference to Isaac, we have the idea of the generations or the genealogy. He's off feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So we have wives, we have brothers, we have fathers, we have the whole family being brought into the story, or at least mentioned. So the first spiritual pitfall that we spent a good portion of the week discussing is the spiritual pitfall of family. Because so much, within Christianity, we always hear that family, family, family is like a blessing. Family is the, the most important, one of the most important institutions created by God. Family is great. Family is wonderful. Family, 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 family. However, When we just jump over to the New Testament really quick, we don't have time to go look at the reference, but what did Jesus say in regards to family? If you don't hate your mother, father, brother, you are not worthy to be my disciple. Now, why would he offer such a warning like that? Because he understands that there's an inherent danger with family. And one of the clear dangers is placing it before God. All right, so immediately we realize. So we talked about that family can appear to be like everything's great. Everything's wonderful. It's amazing. And then the next thing you know, you fall right into a pit. In fact, even Paul in Corinthians warned that if the, when a person is not married, what can they focus on? The things of God. When they're married, what do they have to focus on? Things of this world. I mean, literally, that's what Paul said in Corinthians. So clearly, there is a danger built into it. And that fits perfectly in the story because everything that happens is going to happen where? In the context of family. It's all going to end. Is this a great story, the way this is going to end up? If you know where this is going, it's not going to end up great, okay? So family is one of those spiritual pitfalls. I don't have time to talk about everything we've discussed, but you get the idea, all right? So The next thing we find here, okay, let's go back to verse, we'll read verse 1 and verse 2 again. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years of old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. The next spiritual pitfall here is not polygamy because that's why everyone went immediately, well, there's polygamy happening. Obviously it is, but I did not reference it as polygamy. I referenced it as the spiritual pitfall of cultural influence. Because what he was doing, he had embraced the cultural practice of polygamy. And we can sit there and go, well, bad Jacob, he should have known God said that a man should, you know, depart from his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That sounds great, right? OK, well, guess what? Even though it sounds great, we find Jacob here now engaged in the practice of polygamy. Is he the first one to do so? No. Go all the way back to Abraham, right? Sarai gave Hagar to be his what? Wife. All right, so this has been a problem. Is it going to be a problem after Jacob? It's going to be a problem for what? The entire Old Testament, yes? The entire Old Testament. So why was it a problem? Because the influence of culture. You get out of the Old Testament, you get into the New Testament, and what happens? The New Testament church was influenced by? Culture. You get past the New Testament, you get into the, the uh, after the Apostles, into, uh, into church history. What do you find the church being influenced by? Culture. Every generation of the church is influenced by culture. And you know why? Because Christians spend more time influenced by the culture than they do God's Word. Because they don't spend that much time listening to sermons, reading the Bible, and talking theology. They spend time being influenced by everything else. news friends, social media, and their thinking begins to be conformed to that. Cultural influence, we've talked about it a million times. So we see the spiritual pitfall of family. And why is, the spirit, why is culture considered a spiritual pitfall? Because you don't even really see it. You're just in it. You don't see it. Now, we're really good at going, oh no, 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 over there, that's bad cultural influence. Stay away from that while we're embracing 15 other ideas that are no more biblical than that really bad one over there. And Christians are great at that. They're like, hey, that's really that we Christians will always say, we're opposed to the culture, as they turn around and talk like, well, culture. <laughs> okay. So so that no, we could we could have an entire discussion there. All right. Then so there's polygamy. And then what happens after it mentions the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives? Then we read the following words. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, immediately, there, all the church, well, not all the church fathers. Well, no, almost all the church fathers. They all go into, Joseph is the hero here. See, Joseph is out there feeding the flock with his brothers And he looks around and his brothers are doing all kinds of bad things. Really bad things if you read the church fathers. The church fathers say that they were either committing sodomy or bestiality. There's nothing in the text to indicate that. There's nothing in the text. Why would they do that? Because they've got to make the brothers really bad because Joseph is who? He's Jesus in the story. Right. So the way it's usually stated is that Joseph was doing the right thing. He's out there feeding the flock and he looks around and he's like, oh, my brothers are doing really bad things. And so he hops on his donkey or whatever he's got and he runs back home and goes, dad, dad, you're not going to believe this. My brothers are doing really, 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 really bad things. And so everybody's like, oh, isn't Joseph the great kid? I think there's a spiritual pitfall here. Now, one, there's a lot of assumptions in how to interpret it. I'm not saying that what Joseph does here is bad. I'm not saying what he does here is good. I think it just brings up a lot of questions. All right? First, what would be the first question when we read this? What would be the first question? Did he talk to his brothers about the situation? Right? Did he confront his brothers? Wouldn't that be the right thing to do? Yeah, okay, right. Everybody's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, talk to them. Hey, guys, what in the world are you doing? That's that's the first question, right? Second, was there some motivation that possibly led Joseph to go run and tell dad that's really not that good of motivation? There's possibly two motivations here. One, the brothers, who is the moms of the brothers? Zilpah? Yeah, yeah, concubines, right? There's a possibility that maybe Joseph is like, I don't like these kids. I don't like their moms. I don't like anything to do with them. So if I can get him in trouble with dad, okay, he is 17, right? Okay? Now, I mean... That's, that's, a, that's a possibility, right? It's a possibility that he's motivated by just typical civil rivalry, right? He just, he doesn't, siblings don't always get along. I don't know if you realize this, but siblings don't always get along. I even, and I know it's possible that Joseph was a sinner. I know, I know I'm not supposed to say that because he's Jesus in the story. But he's not actually Jesus. He's a 17-year-old sinner. So is he motivated to go run and tell? There may be another motivation. Look at the very next verse. And it says, Israel, next verse, loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, if you're the favorite, you may have a tendency to, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm, I'm, if I'm already the favorite, what better way to strengthen my favorite, favorite status? Right? Right? Hey, I'm the good kid. I mean, some of you who have big families, you probably know this. The good kid, who everyone says is the good one, everyone says is the obedient one, that kid starts catching on. I'm the good kid. I'm the obedient kid. They know that. And so what does the good, obedient kid like to do? Let you know how the other kids are not the obedient ones, because that strengthens their position. I'm not saying it's a conscious thing, but I'm saying that maybe Joseph's actions here are not so good. So we, we talked about this being the spiritual pitfall of what? I don't know if Twilo remembers. Speech. We called it, what's, what's the Bible referred to this as? Tell bearing. And we looked up all the scriptures about tell bearing and we spent the whole week looking at this. Look, there's a time to speak and there's a time to just keep your mouth open shut. There's a time that what you don't need to go tell everyone else what someone else did. There's a time to go to that person and deal with it. Or go to the very... Now, the one thing Joseph does, he does go to the right person. He doesn't go tell, you know, as far as I know, he didn't have Twitter. So, I mean, he, you know, he doesn't hop on social media. But he... We, we still don't know if his... In other words, it's it's okay to question him. I know you're not supposed to do that. Because everyone's like... See, Jesus came and preached to his brethren and his brethren turned against him. That's how everyone teaches this. But I don't think there's anything there that says, do you see a footnote there put there by the Holy Spirit saying this is about Jesus? No, it's about Joseph being a 17 year old boy who for some reason comes running to dad going, guess what they did? OK, and I just I just think that it's OK to read it that way. All right. So what are the spiritual pitfalls we have so far? Family. Cultural influence and your mouth. And the reason your mouth is a spiritual pitfall is because you use it all the time. Okay? All the time. How many words do you say a day? I only use one or two a day. But Stacy, you can't get her to stop talking. Okay? So, hey, now, come on. There's no need to get all judgmental. Okay? All right? So the point is, is we can get ourselves in trouble there. Correct? I mean, you can. I can't. You can't, right? No, we all do because we speak when we probably shouldn't and we say what we shouldn't, all right? And we we, we find ourselves there. So those are the ones we've looked at so far. Now, the next one we talked about extensively yesterday and we're going to spend some more time with it today, all right? The next spiritual pitfall, see if everyone can find it. Starting in verse, in fact, verse 3 and 4 was the memory verses this week on the Bible Memory App. All right, here we go. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren and they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Sounds like a great family, doesn't it? A great family, right? What I love about it is even the Bible families are dysfunctional, okay? Dysfunction did not start in the 1970s or the 1980s. Dysfunction goes all the way back to uh, the Bible times. And why does it go back to Bible times? Because you put a bunch of sinners in one house, there's going to be sin, all right? I know that's a shock to everyone, okay? But, but there it is. So what's the next big spiritual pitfall, Favoritism is the next big spiritual pitfall. I know we spent a lot of time uh, talking about this yesterday, but I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to add to that discussion so Twilight doesn't get bored. All right, all right, here we go. All right, and that everyone online going, wait a minute, you just repeated what you said yesterday. All right, here we go. First, let's define favoritism. Let's define it. We didn't really define it yesterday, did we? So let's define it today. Favoritism is partiality or bias. To show favoritism is to give preference to one person over others with equal claims. It is similar to discrimination and may be based on conditions such as social class, wealth, clothing, actions, I know you're not supposed to say this in 2022 within the conservative world because you'll immediately be accused of teaching, you know, I don't know, critical race theory. But it can also include race. I know I'm not supposed to say that because, you know. that's a, well, Don't get me started on all that. But favoritism. Now, when we think of favoritism, I want you to think of this, I want you to think of this in three ways. And I really identified this yesterday. When you look at this story... Right. We got three groups or three. We'll just we'll name three people. Right. That's the best way to describe it. All right. We have Jacob. Yes. What is Jacob in the story in regards to favoritism? He's the one carrying out favoritism. Right. He's the one who's engaged in favoritism. The second person in this story is Joseph. Who is he in the story? the recipient of favoritism. And then you have the brothers, and they are what? The victims of favoritism. I want you to to write that down, okay? You are either the one giving favoritism, or you're the one receiving favoritism, or you're the one who is victim of it. Now, guess what? All three are spiritual pitfalls, If you're the one giving favoritism, I will go so far to say you are engaging in sin. I know it's not a sin that gets much attention, right? Hey, there's not a lot of conferences. Hey, we're going to study favoritism this week at this conference. No, all kinds of other sins will get attention, right? Not this one. Because there's lots of sins that are basically church acceptable. You can ever see someone church disciplined for the sin of favoritism? No, you probably won't even see it mentioned, right? But you don't see a lot of people going, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I engaged in favoritism this week. Yeah, it's it's a venial sin. and Nobody cares about it. I mean, it's just just weird how this works in in Christianity. We've got our sins that nobody cares about. So you may be the one carrying it out. If you are, you've engaged in sin. You may be the one receiving it. Now, how can that be a spiritual pitfall? Could become like Joseph because Joseph <laughs> Joseph not only goes and tells, he's getting ready to say, hey, brothers, listen, I know I know, I just told on you and got you in trouble, but you're not going to believe the dream I just had, okay? I had this dream that you're all bowing before me, okay? Which is a great thing to go tell the brothers you just told on, right? That's, that's really, yeah. yeah, that's, is that, is that smart? Okay. Right, yeah, right after you get to get the special cut, co- yeah, which... Yeah, the way he's wearing that. The whole thing is just the whole thing is just a mess. All right, so you may be the one who's receiving it. Have you ever been the favorite? Okay, if you have, it, 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 it can, you can you get away with a lot. I, may, I'm, I learned really quick in the military. If I can become the favorite of the doctors, I'm good to go. And I got out of everything. People are out there running a mile and a half. And I'm standing in the hospital with the doctors eating donuts, drinking a Dr. Pepper going, man, those people are stupid. <laughs> yeah, they should be here with me. I learned how to, I never learned how to manipulate this system, right? Okay, See, that, you, you'll take advantage of it, right? Okay, don't look at me like, oh, how you're so bad. You should have been out there running with the rest of the troops. You're not very, you give me a break. You're all, probably a lot of you have been favorites and you took advantage of it, right? Okay, okay, all right, nobody's going to say that part. Have you ever been a victim of it? It's not so good when you're a victim of it, is it? How do you respond when you're the victim of it? In this story, their response is pretty strong, right? Okay. And you say, well, I would never go that far. Okay, maybe not uh, in their physical actions, but maybe in your mental actions, all right? So what, what are the, so what is favoritism? Favoritism is partiality or bias. To show favoritism is to give preference to one person over others with equal claims. It is similar to discrimination and may be based on what conditions? Social class, wealth, clothing, actions, race, gender, could go through a whole host of issues. Does that make sense? Anybody repeat that? And there's in this story in Genesis thirty seven, there's three kind of Different ways of looking at favoritism. The ones who carry it out, the ones who receive it, and the ones who are victimized by it. Now, let's just look at some scriptures where it shows the Bible condemns favoritism. Where do you think we should go? Does anybody know some scriptures where the Bible condemns it? James, that's a good passage to go to. Let's go to James chapter 2. That's good. That's a good one. Probably the most famous. Leviticus has got some things, but uh, I think James is one what most everyone knows. James chapter 2. Right? In fact, in my Bible, guess what they have written above James chapter 2 favoritism condemned. All right, here we go. James 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Uh, another translation. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. In other words, James 2, 1 is saying what? Faith in Christ is incompatible with with partiality or favoritism. If you claim to have faith in Christ and you walk around showing favoritism or partiality, I'm sorry, those two are incompatible. Now, I wonder why. What do you think makes favoritism incompatible with faith in Christ? What do you think makes it incompatible? Well okay, let, 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 let's 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 just take a step back and think of it this way. The Christian worldview of people. Alright? What are the basic elements of a Christian worldview and how you see other human beings? Okay. Well okay, one, everyone is creating the image of God. No matter gender, no matter how wealthy they are or poor they are, no matter any their race. Nothing matters. They are all created in the image of God. So you have to see beyond the race, beyond the gender, beyond whatever the politic, whatever, whatever it is that you don't like or you have some issue with. You got to see beyond that. What do you have to see? That they they are they are created in the image of God, and we rarely we look what what do when you look at people do you see what do you see first the image of God or what else do, what do you see first. Come on, be honest. What do you see first? Their, hair. their looks. Their skin. And then after you start talking to them, what do you start seeing? Their personality. Their, personality, their attitude. Their accent. their accent. Right? You start noticing. And, and it can may, it. sometimes it takes three seconds. Sometimes it takes three, Oh well, maybe, maybe you're more godly than me. Sometimes it takes three seconds and my decision is like, mm, I don't like that person. I just, I'd rather just me, my dog, and just get away from me, right? And sometimes the more they talk, it's like, Aah! your fingers on a chalkboard, right? It's like, stop talking, right? Get away from me. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly, right? Does that, does that make sense? Yes? So we have a, we have a problem because we don't, we, we stop seeing the image of God and we see the external and the external we may like or we may dislike, and come on, it can even happen with kids, right? Come on, okay. Y'all there? You have big families. You get away, know that. There's some. Sometimes some you got one kid. You're like, oh, could you just stop, please, please? You're driving me crazy. You're you're added to everything. You're driving me nuts, right? And then the other one, you're like, oh. They, they agree with me on everything, okay? They're, they, I knew they were smart, right? True? Okay, so, and we stop seeing the image of God and we see all of these other things. So that's the first thing about a Christian worldview. What's the second thing we know about all people? They're all totally depraved. So we see the image of God, but we know they're all depraved. That's how we have to see people. Now, immediately, why is that important? Because if I know they're totally depraved, no matter how great I think they are, no matter how wonderful I think they are, at their very core, they are still a sinner. It's almost like how people, when they read the story, how does everyone read the story? In Genesis 37, we we almost see, oh, there's Joseph, halo, ah." angels probably float above him as he walks. He probably doesn't even touch the ground. It's godly Joseph. Oh, look at those piece of garbage brothers. Man, dumpster fire of kids right there, man. They're just complete trash. Right? Is that not... Come on, that's how we read the story. Right, yeah. Which could create the (laughs) the whole situation, right? And. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's almost, well, sometimes they'll blame Jacob, but still Joseph is still like, he's not touched by any of it. We can't We can't do that. So we have to make sure we view people from a, that, that's why it's incompatible. Favoritism is incompatible with the faith which you profess because your faith believes that everyone was created by God in his image and everyone is a sinner. And if you miss that, then you're missing, you're, somehow favoritism and bias is showing up in the way you view people. Does that make sense? All right. They go on to say, well, we, we could, let's just continue reading James 2. Because I've got some commentary here, but just let's continue reading. All right. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man and vile raiment, And you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, hey, stand thou there or sit under my footstool. So basically it's like you're sitting in church. Someone walks in, someone looks great, smells great. You can tell they have money. They're wonderful. And someone else walks in looking really rough. Come on, let's be honest. Everyone acts differently based on a, a, a person's appearance and how they look. Some people can walk in here, and you'd be like, oh, fine. And then some, uh, someone else could walk in, and you'd be like, pulling your kid a little closer. Like, okay, just stay with mommy. Let's just stay right here. Come on. It happens. Right? There, he, this is being condemned. All right? Are you, are you not then partial In yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, and many believe, what must what some people believe that royal law, the royal law is? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love Abraham hey, as yourself. Now, now, there's some debate here on what the royal law is. There's much debate. But since Jesus says that that's kind of like all the commandments are summed up there, some people believe that's the royal law. All right. Uh, thou and, and it, well, in fact it goes on to say, thou shall. Oh, well, I know it says that, but not everyone believes that that's the, what the royal law is. Get, get, we remember when we studied James, we had a big discussion about this. Okay, thou shall love the neighbor as thyself. Ye do well, but if you have respect to persons, you commit. I want you everyone to write that verse down. If you have respect to persons. Everyone say it. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Does everybody hear that? And what does he say in the next verse? Uh, that's such an important point, right? Because that verse, sometimes we rip it out of its context, right? The next verse says that if you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all. And he just said that if you commit favoritism, basically, what have you become? You've broken the entire law. There's people in this room, you've committed favoritism in so many different ways, some kind of bias, some kind of prejudice, and you've never even been convicted by it because, wait a minute, that's not one of those big sins. And what is James trying to show? If you commit favoritism, you're guilty as someone has broke the other Ten Commandments. But we'll pick one of the other commandments and go, You committed that one. You're finished. You're done. You're garbage. We're going we're to brand you. Well, wait a minute. If that person gets branded with that letter, why don't you get branded with, I don't know, F for favoritism? But nobody, nobody, no, no problems here. It's a sin. It's a sin. Does everybody understand that? Okay. Now, I, I've got all kinds of scriptures here that talks about favoritism. Right? I've got all kinds. Well, does it show up in the New Testament? Give me an Can someone tell me, because I can go through all the other scriptures, right? And I could spend the rest of this time just dealing with this. But let's, let's try to really think this through. Can you think of a good example in the New Testament where favoritism occurs? By someone who, well, probably should know better. Anybody, Peter, what does he do? He stopped eating with the Gentiles. Now, some people will focus that on more on peer pressure because he he kind of gave into the Jews and he like oh, I don't want to offend these people, but he shows favoritism. He puts the Jews before the Gent. This was a problem in the whole the New Testament church, right? Hey guys, stop treating these people like they're somehow second-class Christians, right? Oh yes, showing favoritism over that—all kinds of things happen. So the New Testament has it as well. It is a sin. Okay, let me make it very clear. It was a sin in the Old Testament. The Book of Leviticus condemns it. It's a sin in the New Testament. It is a sin. It's not like, well, that was a part of the old law. Favoritism, bias, prejudice, bigotry. It is a sin. Now, you can't. if you preach this in 2022, you're immediately accused of critical race theory being a liberal, which is ridiculous, okay? That's got to get purged out of the church, all right? That's ridiculous, okay? I'm, I'm tired of hearing that. No, favoritism is a sin. Prejudice, bigotry. When you, because how are you supposed to see everyone? Create the image of God and are sinners. And if you miss that, then, well, you've, you've missed everything. Okay, so I, I, so let's go back here. Let's just go back to Genesis 37. And let's show how this favoritism plays out in the story. All right? So we've established favoritism is present, Yes. We've established uh, how favoritism works. You're either the one giving it, you're the one receiving it, or you're the victim of it. We've seen that favoritism is a sin. Now let's see favoritism play out in the story of a real family. Everybody there? Okay, so, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many Colors. Now, what do we have happening in verse 3? Now we have, more, we have the favoritism, listen, not just showing up in attitude. Now it's being shown in action. Now it's tangible. Right? He loves one more than the other. Maybe you can see that. Maybe you can recognize it. Now it's... He gives him a coat of many colors. And this signifies what? That Joseph is special. What? His status in the family. He's special. He's above everyone else. Way to go, Jacob. What a great decision, huh? What a great decision. This is brilliant, Jacob. This is, it's almost like, hey, hey, hey. He wants all the other wives to know. He wants all the other kids. That right there, that's my favorite. In what way? Oh, well, yes. But he still wasn't better. Just because, right, we got to make sure we make sure. Just because Joseph is used by God doesn't make him better. Because that gets into all kinds of other, <laughs> but well, that creates all kinds of favoritism Then there, there. All right. So he gives him a coat of many colors. And then what happens in verse 4? His brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren. They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. But I, wanted to, I want us to know, I think in many cases, I think what the evil report that Joseph brings in verse 2 is somewhat motivated by the fact that he's the favorite in verse 3. The father then demonstrates him being a favorite by giving him a coat of many colors. And then of all the crazy things a kid could do. Now I know Joseph is seventeen. Right, So you've got to at least take that into somewhat of consideration. I know 17 years of age then is different than 17 years of age now, but still, you're like, what in the world are you doing? Because he has a dream in verse 5. He dreamed a dream. And then immediately, what does he do? He told his brethren, and they hated him yet. All right, so clearly, this dream ticks them off. Now, so it's almost like you can picture it Hey, I got my coat of many colors. Hey guys, guys, come here, come here before you go feed the cattle and I go out and give you another evil report about you. Stop what you're doing. I got to tell you this dream. They're like, "Okay. All right, what's the dream?" And they're looking at the coat, probably already thinking, "Oh, I can't stand this kid, right?" So, but maybe it's a good dream. And then what's the dream? And he said unto him, "Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. In other words, they did what? They bowed down. Can you imagine that? I mean, Just try it in any of your families, right? Have one kid go to the dinner table tonight and tell all the other kids, I had a dream that you were all bowing before me. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. It 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 doesn't work, right? They get mad. I I do. I there's a a big wrestling storyline right now where this wrestler it keeps coming out and wherever he goes, he tells everyone, "Acknowledge me," right? Because he's the head of the table, the tribal chief. He's the best. He's the greatest. He's been champion now for like 500 days. It's crazy. And the story's been going on forever, right? Well, Liam hates this. His anger for this person is beyond like it's it's well it's insane. He wants the wrestler to basically die, right? But I wear the shirt, and when he comes in and sees the shirt, <laughs> he'll go he'll go to Stacy, and he'll say, he's "Like it's my coat of many colors." He'll say. Tell your husband that I'm going to beat him up. Tell, like, and it, or he's getting a knife from the drawer. Like he he wants to stab me. I'm like, it's just a wrestling storyline, kid. Get over it. But he doesn't like it, so I I'll, I'll always I'll, I'll look at Liam. Acknowledge me, and he doesn't want to acknowledge me. He gets mad. He gets upset. I'm like, get over it, right? He's the champion, and every time he wins, oh, he gets he's yelling and screaming at the TV, like, and he'll he'll say. I need, to see, I need to say some bad words, right? Because he doesn't know what to do. He gets so mad when the, every, I mean, I don't think the guy's ever going to lose the way the storyline's going to go on for 20 years. But Liam is just becoming like, he keeps saying he's going to grow up, become a wrestler, and then he's going to be the one who beats it. Right? So he's got, I'm going to find a way to end this story, right? So, but it's, that's just one little, little example. That's just a fictitious character. Imagine if it's his brother walking up going, acknowledge me! Like, no, Liam would be fighting. And probably the same in your family. Right? So is this a smart thing to do? And his brother said to him, What does his brother say in verse 8? Shall thou indeed reign over us? Or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet? (laughs) Every time this is the way the text goes. They hated him, they hated him more. They hated him even more. Like, it's just every day. And does Joseph stop? What happens next? And he dreamed yet another dream. And he told his brother and he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars made obeisance to me. Now, the universe is bowing before me. I mean, like, you're starting to think, this kid has a narcissistic problem and he needs some counseling. Like, you're probably getting really tired of your brother at this point. Now, and he told it to his father and his brother, and what did his father do? Why do you think his father rebuked him? <laughs> yeah, now he's kind of like, wait a minute. So now everyone in the family, like, okay, I, look, you're my favorite, but I think you're taking it a little far, okay? Now, now you've kind of gone crazy with it. And what, uh, he, he, uh, he said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brother indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And then what does the brother do? They envied him now. It's gone from hatred, extreme hatred to envy. But his father observed the saying. Now Jacob's trying to figure out what in the world's going on here. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Now, we all know what takes place next, Right? Okay, so Joseph goes looking for his brethren because they're all feeding the flock, and he's going to go. But they probably don't want him to know. They, they probably are not telling him where they're going anymore. Hey, we're going to go feed the flock. Don't tell Joseph, right? Because he starts walking around asking people where the brothers are, right? Everybody see that in verse 12 to 17? Yes? So he's. And it's just kind of. I mean, you almost kind of see it like they're like, okay, hey, it's time to feed the flock. Go, 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 go. Don't tell Joseph. Because Joseph's going to show up and then go tell on us, right? So, then what happens in verse 18? And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they did what? Conspired against him to, to slay him or to kill him. That's gone pretty far now. That's gone pretty far. Hatred turned into extreme hatred, which turned into envy, which now turns into a plot to kill. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want you to write down the following things in regards to favoritism. All right, everybody ready? Number one, we must examine how favoritism may be present in our lives and attitudes. You have to, you have to look and see where favoritism shows up. It can show up in the home. It can show up at work. It can show up in how you view people just anywhere. And in any any way, shape, or form, you've got to look for, is there some prejudice? Is there some bias? Is there some bigotry inside of you? You've got to acknowledge it. Now, typically people who who show favoritism or who have bias or bigotry, they're usually what? The last ones to detect it. A lot of times other people will go, man... That mom really that's that's her favorite kid. Everyone else will talk about it. But if you were to confront the mom and go, Do you think you're showing favoritism to your kid? What will mom almost immediately respond? Absolutely not. And everybody's like, Okay, all right. <laughs> when your kids are in counseling, maybe you'll listen in because it's clear to everybody, okay? Yeah, I think it's obvious. Sometimes you don't even realize it. That's what makes it a spiritual. Pitfall because you don't even see it. I mean, maybe Jacob realized what he was doing. We don't know. But we have to look and see if it's there. And listen, I know what you're thinking. Man, come on. Preach on a really good sin. No, this is a good sin because nobody thinks it's a sin. <laughs> okay, that's the problem. And I want you to realize that how bad this... I mean, we don't even need to go into American Christianity on this subject, do we? I mean, American Christianity, keeping blacks out of churches. Okay, some really messed up stuff American Christianity has done in regards to race. I mean, whoo, Christianity is... And that's Christianity, Showing the same bigotry, the same prejudice, the same racism, the same garbage that the world does. And then we turn around and act like we're morally superior. Okay, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's that simple. No place for... And it should never have been in Christianity. It should not be today. But it's there. And why is it there? We're all depraved. right? No excuse for it. But it's there. It's there. It's not not acceptable. All right? Next. All right? So we must examine how favoritism may be present in our lives and attitudes. Number two if we are the recipients of favoritism, we must not allow it to become a source of pride. If we become recipients of it, we've got to ensure that we don't allow it to become a source of pride. What's the, I, I cannot stress this enough. We, we talked about how we should, be, listen, we talked about as a Christian, what is your worldview towards other people? You must see everyone as being created in the image of God. So you see that before you see race, gender, or, or, or anything else. And you have to see people as being depraved sinners. Correct? Then, what is the worldview you must have towards yourself? Jesus makes it very simple. Christianity, in regards to the view of yourself, involves at least three things. Deny self, die to self, and stop following self. Well, if you die to self and you're denying self, even if you're the recipient of favoritism, you won't exalt yourself. And that goes from Matthew chapter 16 is where Jesus points that out. He also does in Luke. I don't have time to look up all of those scriptures. In fact, what, how are we supposed to act? Well, Philippians 2, I think, is that what you're referencing? Philippians 2 is a good passage to just remind ourselves of. Philippians 2. This one we want to read. And the reason this one is important is because, well, Jesus is the model of it. Now, Jesus heard a message. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's the eternal son of God. But how does Jesus respond to such a favored position? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now verse 2 is what is God wants for every church. There's no favoritism in that, right? There's no bigotry, there's no bias. Let nothing be done through what? Strive for vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's how you handle it. No matter how much you're the favorite, you still esteem everyone else better than you. Everyone in this church should esteem everyone else better than them. Everyone in your family should esteem everyone else in their family as better than them. You should esteem everyone you work with as better than yourself. Nobody wants to say amen to that, right? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's, this is when the whole pandemic hit. This is the thing that drove me crazy because when Christians are out there going with all of their nonsense and conspiracy theories and just acting like, I don't know, they've lost their mind and that Alex Jones is their pope, okay? Instead of just talking like Christians, they stop talking like Christians. Here's what you should do in the middle of a pandemic. What do you do in the middle of a pandemic? Esteem others better than you and didn't do what? What's the next, what's that verse? Look not... Look, every, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's not about you. And all I've ever heard during the pandemic is Christians going, our rights, our rights, our rights, stop the tyranny, our rights. Where does the Bible ever talk about any of your rights? You don't have any. You say, but I'm an American. Okay, well then be an American and stop being a Christian. Christianity is not about your rights. What what does Jesus say? Do what? Die to self. Deny self. Stop following self and consider what? Other people before yourself. Is that complicated? Oh, it's not easy. Now, I will agree there. It's not complicated. It's not easy. It's one thing to say, man, man, I know what I should do here during the pandemic, but man, I want to fight for my rights. I'm tired of this tyranny. I want to rebel. Okay, it's one thing to just acknowledge it. Now, I got no problem with that. But to act like that that attitude is the spiritual one? Yeah, yeah. Look, you're not convi- all you're do- you may convince all your QAnon you know, buddies, but you're not convincing anyone who knows how to read a Bible. You may be convincing all the people who love... Fox News and Tucker Carlson, but you're not convincing anyone who knows anything about the Bible. Because the Bible is like, no, it's right there. And you say, well, but I just think that's ridiculous. Oh, I guess, I guess you're going to think the next part of this is ridiculous too, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what? Even death of the cross. You had no problem with Jesus giving up his rights. You had no problem with him putting you before him. You had no problem. Jesus, give up your rights, G- die on a cross, get sped upon, do it for me. But when you turn around and go, wait a minute, I've got to give up my rights? I'm and... <laughs> not going to do it. Do you see how utterly blasphemous that is? We have, we have no problem with Jesus doing it for us. But when we're put in a situation where it calls for Christians to act in a similar fashion, it's almost this is what we're saying. Jesus, you were dumb. Because we're not going to act that way. Do you see how messed up that is? All right, so we got to go through these quickly. All right, so number one, we must examine how favoritism may present uh, in our lives and attitudes, how it's present in our lives. Number two, we have to, uh, if we're the recipients, what must we do? Not allow it to become a source of pride, and we must follow Matthew sixteen twenty-four and Philippians 2. Number three, if you're a recipient of favoritism, you must not take advantage of it. And when I say not take advantage of it, in a sinful or ungodly way or in a way that hurts or or, or hinders other people. And if we are the victim of favoritism, what must we do? I don't have as much time to spend on this as I want to. If you're the victim of it, what what can you not do? You cannot be filled with hatred. Envy, bitterness, and vengeance. Now, is that e- have you ever been a victim of it? It's not good, is it? It's not good at all, if you've ever felt it. It's not good. <laughs> okay, whatever the situation is, everyone can probably tell stories. We're really good at detecting when we're victims of it, aren't we? I mean, we have, like, a favoritism detector. We beep beep, 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 Oh, how dare you don't make me the favorite. Like, we're quick. But, okay, cool, okay, you're a team captain, you're a team at 16, You know, the guy that's always last to be Right. Okay, well, there, like, there is a little favoritism there. It may just because you got to pick the best players to win, because, I mean, for me, I'm picking the best players, okay? or I don't care. I'll be like, I don't want anybody on my team, Okay. <laughs> Okay, but that's when you feel it, right? You at least feel that feeling, right? Yeah, but I would be the one, like, no, don't pick any of them. We don't want any of them, okay? Right? I don't care if it hurts their feelings, because winning is all that matters in my life, okay? Yeah, that's, I was bad at that. No, like, but there's three kids left. I don't need them. <laughs> Give them to the other team, okay? Why? Because we're going to win, and trust me, they'll help us more being on the other team than they will being on our team. Or if I had to pick them, I would just say, sit. Don't play, okay? I was, I was not very nice, okay? But, so yeah, I, that, but when you're the victim, so I, I was the one carrying it out, okay? But when you're the victim of it, it's not good. It's not good, is it? And so what do you have a tendency to do? Sometimes you, you'll never forget it. You pr- probably some of you can remember specifically, and you're like, I'm never going to forget that feeling. You got to do What? You got to not be filled with hatred and you got, I hate to say, I know it's cliche, but we can sing the song from Frozen, let (laughs) it go, okay? I know it's cliche, but you got to just, sometimes you just got to let it go. You can't do anything about it. You just can't do anything about it. I mean, I can go back to everything that happened when my dad brought in his next wife and it wasn't a pretty sight in that family. And there was clear favoritism because some of us got pushed out while the other ones were allowed to just, I don't know, do whatever they wanted to do, okay? And you don't ever forget it, but you just got to go. In fact, you can't respond with bitterness. The only thing you can do is respond with forgiveness. Right? Now, we didn't even get to the next one. Because the next thing is what? There's favoritism. What's the next spiritual pitfall you think you see in this story? We just got to it. Betrayal. Because I don't think Joseph ever thought his brothers were going to throw him in a pit. Try to kill him. And then sell him into slavery. Now this goes back to family. (laughs) Like this family clearly becomes a pit. He ends up literally in a pit. Okay, See why I say pitfalls? He literally ends up there because of his family, but betrayal, and we don't have time to get into that for now, all right, but betrayal is the last one, and guess what, betrayal can just make you as bitter as, as favoritism, in fact, even more so, but you got to respond to whatever that betrayal is, no matter how much it hurt you, you got to respond, and again, we betrayed Christ, We have to see ourselves as the the one who commits betrayal all the time against Christ. And then we've got to respond with it with forgiveness. It's the only way. I mean, if you can't respond with forgiveness, then you're going to be just eaten up and destroyed by. The one thing about Joseph, I will say, he doesn't respond to it in a negative way. That's one great thing about Joseph. He just seems to move on. (laughs) It's like bad things. Just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Almost like he kind of knows that God's going to work it all out. Yeah, he just gives it, over to, he gives it over to God. And sometimes we cannot seem to get past being betrayed in any way, shape, or form. All right. We'll stop right there. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. It's been a very important week of study. As we've worked on favoritism now for two, over two hours, we've worked on it. The betrayal one is a serious one. Everyone has experienced betrayal in some way, shape, or form, maybe in an extreme way, maybe in a small way. And maybe there's people still carrying bitterness, resentment, and hatred, either for being a victim of favoritism or being a victim of betrayal. If we cannot lay that before you and forgive as you have forgiven us, then the only thing we will do is destroy ourselves and end up in a pit. And I pray that we would really consider and examine our hearts this week in regards to this very important subject. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,